Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. And for those of you just joining us, we just started last week through uh, a study through the book of James. We're just taking it one piece at a time and are going to walk through this with a yearning uh, to understand what does it look like for us to walk and live in authentic faith. And this is really rooted in a a, a yearning for us to grasp what has God called us to. And even more specifically sometimes to identify what hasn't he. Because so easily we can become swayed by what culture says we should be or do or uh, what we've grown up thinking we should be or do. And it often leads us. Uh, to this place of defining faith through our own lens rather than the lens of Scripture. And so we want to, uh, my, my heart and my desire and my vision for us is that we would be a people of authenticity. We would be real. And that takes us understanding what being uh, of the family of God, the body of Christ looks like. It also takes us being willing to uh, be vulnerable. And to listen well, we talked about that last week, to to empathize with those who are struggling. And to walk with our eyes fixed on Christ. But I want to begin, uh, last week we we went through verses 1 through 4. I'm going to pick up at verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of those, it's page 1199. Okay? I want to make sure you are able to see what God's Word says, and so that you don't leave here going, well, Pastor Matt thought, um, no, we want, to, we want to understand what God's Word says. I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to read through verse 12 today. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all, everyone say all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Everyone say faith. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
Father, as we seek to comprehend your commands, your exhortations in this letter, may we have open eyes to what you are communicating and open ears to not uh, simply be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Father, that you would use this to unite us under your word for your glory above anything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is kind of a given, but how many of you at any point in your life have faced some sort of trial? Every single one of you should raise your hand. If not, I want to know your secret. Okay? Um, And maybe that's a better question. Who hasn't faced a trial in your life? All right? The the reality is every one of us. It's a part of... Uh, Some of us would use this new term, uh, it's part of adulting. And some of you are going, what? Yes. Uh, Part of growing up and encountering responsibility and stepping into life is you know there's trial that comes with that. Some of you here have experienced intense trial Long before your adult years. And you've walked in that. And you've lived in that. You've survived that. Praise God. But even in the midst of surviving those things, they leave scars. They leave wounds. They leave you in a place where you're going, I'm not sure who to trust or where to turn. Now, the follow-up question to this, understanding that none of us are exempt from the trials that this world brings, that's why last week, if you noticed, when it says, count it all, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, not if you meet trials. And so, generally, I've heard this before, it's kind of a pessimistic viewpoint, but someone says, if you're not in a trial now, anticipate the next one that's coming. And last week we, 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 we sought to grasp that we should count it all joy because of what we know. Not because of what we feel, but because of what we know. That we know the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, perseverance. And that must have its work that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And yet, even though that answers maybe the question of how should I respond in trial... What comes next is the follow-up question, which is, where should I turn in trial? When I'm faced with challenge, where should I go? And unfortunately, oftentimes, this is one of those passages, like so many others in Scripture, where we pluck it out of its context, and we apply it to every single scenario and situation that could be. But we have to understand here, this is coming right after James has said, count it all joy when you face trials. Everyone say trials. With that in mind, there's another exhortation, not just counting it all joy. But verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And so if you're taking notes, this is going to seem really, really simple. And that's because it is. If you lack wisdom in the midst of a trial, ask God. If you lack wisdom in the midst of hard times, 
Seek the Lord. Now, it's interesting. When I was thinking about this, the first thought that came to my mind was, where do we turn? When we face hardship, where do we turn? Or when I have a question, where do I turn? And you know what my first thought that came to my mind was? Google! I heard it! (laughs) In fact, I stopped and thought about this, and I thought, in our modern culture, we have amassed a new verb. Just Google it. Have you Googled it? Right? You've heard this before. I've said this before. And so I was interested. I was interested. I thought, how many times... Do people use Google? And this is what I found. As of March 2021, 90,460 Google searches occur per second. This means there are 5.4 million Google searches per minute, 325.65 million per hour, 7.81 billion per day, 54.71 billion per week, 237.75 billion per month, and 2.85 trillion per year. Stop and think about that a minute. Now, you might be sitting here listening to this and going, "What, what are you saying? And what I'm saying is, as simple as this exhortation in James seems... It seems to be our last resort. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously to all without reproach. And so this begs the question for us, where do you personally, where do we most often go when we are lacking wisdom? Now, it's important for us to recognize there is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. It does not take long for us to look around and go, I know some people who know a lot of things who are very foolish. So we cannot put wisdom and knowledge into the same category. Sometimes knowledge will lead to wisdom. But there are many who have an abundance of knowledge but are very foolish. The most prevalent of those we see in Scripture was the Pharisees. Here's these guys who Jesus called hypocrites. (laughs) And understand that Pharisees are the religious leaders of the time. I don't think we often let that sink in very much. It's a warning. Because we, you and me, are very prone to be a people who know a lot of things but act very foolishly. That's why later on we're going to see that James exhorts the church to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. We can go through this life and know all the right things and yet choose to do none of them. Wisdom takes knowledge to the next level And brings about good judgment, decision making in the face of any challenge put before it. Now the question may become, how do we define what good judgment and decision making looks like? And here's the reality. 
It's really interesting that the book of Proverbs speaks to both wisdom and knowledge in the same way. In Proverbs 1, verse 9, it says the fear of what? The Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, guess what it says? The fear of the Lord, everyone say the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, this does not mean that there won't be other definitions of wisdom. In fact, when we get to James, later on in James, um, you're going to see that there is this contrast between the wisdom that the world offers and the wisdom of God. There's a difference. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, there's a difference, right? What I'm saying in this is we can have people around us that are really wise when it comes to the things of the world and yet are completely foolish when it comes to the things of God. And if we believe, and this is a question you have to answer, if we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness, then when Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then it is understandable for us to go, before I can achieve any amount of biblical knowledge or wisdom... I first have to be someone who fears the Lord. That is, that I have not made myself the God of my own life. If you lack wisdom in the midst of a trial, ask God. In every season, whether high or low, may we seek Him first. Now, the second part of this, though, kind of qualifies this statement. Recognizing God is one who gives generously to all without reproach. Recognizing it will be given. Do you, do you grasp that promise? The, the biblical promise that God's going to come through? But, verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I want you to understand, what is this doubt about? The one who doubts this, what are they doubting? In this context, they're doubting that God will provide wisdom. And we might read that and go, oh, I can't have any doubts ever. No, that's not what it says. It says when you come to God seeking wisdom, seeking instruction and help in the trial you're in, don't doubt that he will come through. There's going to be seasons of your life where you're in the midst of a trial and you have doubts about what the end result's going to be. There's going to be seasons of your life where you're in the midst of a heavy, heated season. 
And you're going to have doubts about where God is. That's different than me knowing that God has promised to impart wisdom when we come to Him in the midst of trial. Where do we go first? When you ask God for wisdom, don't doubt. Because the person who doubts is like a wave of the sea. It's driven wherever the wind blows. There is no certainty in the midst of the storm. The wave has, think about this, the wave has no control over where it goes, how big it gets, or when it crests. It is simply at the mercy of the forces around it. And interestingly enough, last week we read Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, that highlighted that God has given the apostles, the prophets, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain to the maturity of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The person who comes to God in the midst of trial but doubts that he's going to do anything is the person who's willing to just be blown wherever the wind goes. And I've encountered this before. One of, I'll never forget this. One of the first instances I remember encountering this was growing up in the church I grew up in. There was one year in growing up in a farm family uh, farming takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of faith for you to trust that the weather's going to cooperate and things are going to go the way you need them to go for the crops to grow and that the market is going to... There's so much out of your control. Well, there was one year it was especially dry. Like it was a horrible drought year. We had hardly any rain. And there was a, a farm family that showed up to church one Sunday. And in conversation, they said, well, we've tried everything else. Figured we might as well try church. <laughs> and in that moment, I thought to myself, wow, we really are prone to use God for whatever purposes we see fit. And then leave him out of the things that we just don't want him to be a part of. And that church family is where we step into inauthenticity. Where we become a people who put God on the shelf. You know, forget Elf on the shelf. We put God on a shelf. And then when things start to go bad, all of a sudden we're like, oh, where's my God on the shelf? And then as soon as things even out, I don't, I don't need him anymore. Or we go, um, all right, I'm going to try this, but I'm really doubtful it's going to work. I'll, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And we, we test God in a sense. Instead, the person who comes to God in the midst of trial should be a person of faith. And that's not faith that this trial you're in is going to pan out the way you want it to pan out. It's faith that the God who is over all things will remain the same through every storm you face. That He will not change. 
And then to cling to this promise where it says he will give wisdom generously to all without reproach. Praise God for that. Who am I that the God of the universe would impart any amount of godly wisdom upon the circumstances that I'm facing? Who is great like our God? Now, it's interesting because if we stop and think, oftentimes when we ask God for wisdom, what we really want from Him is a decision. This would be a really, here would be a really fun challenge, okay? This would be an illustration that would be really fun to hear the results of, okay? (laughs) Next time you and your spouse or your friends are trying to figure out where you need to eat, ask your friends for wisdom instead of them making a decision and see what happens. I'm just curious. Because oftentimes what happens is um, we ask someone, where do you want to eat? Or what do you want to eat? And what do they say? I don't know or I don't care. I, I determined that those are my million dollar restaurant ideas. <laughs> that if you had a restaurant named I don't care and you ask your, your spouse or your friends, where do you want to go to eat tonight? I don't care. Great, let's go. <laughs> But in the midst of our trials and the hardest portions of our life, so many of us don't want to make a decision because we're afraid it'll be the wrong one. And so then we sit back passively and we don't do anything because we're afraid we're going to misstep and that it's going to cause our trial to be worse. And yet, so often we miss this. And we come to God and we ask Him to resolve our situation Or we ask Him to help us know what decision to make. Or we could come up with a a whole other list of things we ask God. But how often do we come before the Lord and just say, God, I need your wisdom to navigate this trial well for your glory. It's so simple. And to ask in faith, going, I know my God will bring that to me. Now, here's where it gets challenging. Have we considered that godly wisdom might come from God's word? How many times have we prayed to God for wisdom and he has said it right in your lap? Have we considered that godly wisdom might come from godly counsel? How often do we reject counsel because it's not what we want to hear, even though it might be what we need to hear? I've encountered that so many times. I've been guilty of that at times. Where we pray to the Lord for wisdom, and then you get a phone call, or you're with a brother or sister in Christ, and they speak something to you, and you and internally you go, this is not what I want to hear right now. Could it be that God is answering your prayer just as he's promised to do? I'm convinced that more and more we don't see answered prayer because our eyes are closed more so than that God's not answering. 
that we're so convinced that we know what the right thing is, that if God is truly a God of love, then this will happen. And yet he may be taking you through a season of trial to make you more like his son. In order that you might be ready for the next storm in preparation or that you might experience the next season with a fuller sense of joy because you saw the Lord's faithfulness back here. And you can go, praise God for His faithfulness to walk with me, not just in the good times, but so much more in the hardest seasons of my life. He is faithful and He doesn't change. When you ask God for wisdom, don't doubt The last thing in these final few verses, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, it withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Wisdom from the world will pass away. Wisdom from God is eternal. The question is posed in this, how do I know if the wisdom I've received is from God or from the world? Because the conclusion of these verses is, should be humbling to us. That the lowly brother would boast in his exaltation. The practical person goes, um, I don't understand, that seems to contradict itself. That's the point. You see, God doesn't care about what you're worth in a monetary sense. God doesn't care about your success in the world as it pertains to what worldly wisdom would have you. In fact, what you would often find in worldly wisdom is do what you need to do to get on top, to make the most money you can, And live the greatest life here that you possibly can because life is short. That would be the wisdom of the world. Now you and I have an interesting challenge because you and I are living in the world and yet called to be ambassadors of Christ. Literally representing a different kingdom in the kingdom we dwell. Which means that The wisdom the world would tell you often contradicts and what you're going to see actually goes opposed to what God would call us to. The rich should boast in his or should boast in his humiliation because just like the flower of the grass rises up for a season and might look great. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and the flower falls and its beauty perishes. Here are three questions that I want to encourage you to ask to discern whether the wisdom you've received is from the world or from God. The first one is, does such wisdom confirm or deny what God's word says? Does the wisdom given to you in whatever form, 
support or contradict what the word of God says. First John four one, it says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. That's our responsibility. That's the responsibility I give to each one of you every time I'm up here. Hold me accountable to what God's word says. We have enough people who are going off into their own ideas and opinion. We don't need more opinions. Second question, does such wisdom look more like the world or more like Jesus? Which one does it look more like? James 4.4, which we'll get to eventually, says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Everyone say, whoa. (laughs) That should be very frightening to us. May we not be people who become friends with the world or the things that the world loves. Third question. How do I know if the wisdom I've received is from God or from the world? Does such wisdom present opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed? Here's what I mean by that. When you're given wisdom, does it glorify you more or the one who's promised to give you wisdom more? Oftentimes we as the church fail in this area where we go, how can we make our name known? It's a mistake. We need not do that because there's a word for that in Scripture. It's called idolatry. And we can become idolatrous about ourselves. In fact, I think it's one of the most common idols we worship. It's the idol of self. Instead, what we should be saying is, how can we make people know more about Him? How can what is done bring glory to His name, not my own, not our own, that that would be central. Wisdom that is from above is ultimately going to seek the things above, not the things on earth. And let me tell you, even if you haven't seen it, there is opportunity in every single trial you face for God's name to be glorified. And many of you have stories about just that. Testimonies about just that. It is from this when we receive wisdom from God and remain steadfast in the face of trial that we can confidently assert if God is for me, who can be against me? Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. It's in the midst of this that the person of authentic faith is ready to give an answer for the hope that they have. How can you be so hopeful in the midst of such a troubling season? Let me tell you about the hope that we have. It is in the midst of this that we rejoice because we know 
that even in the face of extraordinary pain and loss, according to verse 12, our eternal reward is secure in Christ. This is how the authentic church stands out when the rest of the world is in chaos. Not because we have all the answers to the chaos, but rather that our hope is in that which will never change. Is that where your hope is? So I ask you today, church family, do you lack wisdom in the midst of the trials you face? May we be a people who seek the one who has promised to give wisdom to us, understanding that he has already given us his son. That whoever would believe, that's what scripture says, whoever would believe that he gave his only son because of our sin will not perish but have eternal life. Let me tell you, if God has fulfilled the promise of redemption in His Son, He will fulfill the promise to impart wisdom upon you in your deepest need. He is faithful. He's given us assurance in Christ. And once we realize that, then it is with confidence that we can echo the words of the hymn when trials come. And it says this, I turn to wisdom, not my own, for every battle you have known. My confidence will rest in you. Your love endures, your ways are good. Your love endures, your ways are good. When I am weary with the cost, I see the triumph of the cross. So in its shadow, I shall run till he completes the work begun till he completes the work begun. May that be the cry of our heart, church family. And in so doing, run with endurance in the midst of heavy seasons for his glory, not our own. Amen. Matt's um, going to come up here and join me. And we're going to close with a song. We, w- we want to teach this to you. And the song is... Uh, Some of you may know it. The song is called, My Worth is Not in What I Own. And the reason we want to sing this song to close, um, before we do so, we're going to pray here in a minute. So, But the reason we want to sing this song to close is so often we find our worth in the knowledge or the wisdom we feel we have attained or the possessions we feel we have attained. And instead, we should recognize that our worth is actually in Christ. It's the one thing that unites us together as the church. From all different walks of life and places of being. And may that be the song of our heart. That my worth is not in what I own. It's not in my strength. But it's in the costly wounds of the love of God shown at the cross, the victory found in the resurrection, that we might walk in that. And so before we sing this song, we're just going to pause because I've, I've been challenged by this exhortation given to us as a church family that if we lack wisdom, we need to ask God. And so I feel it's appropriate that we would be a people who just pause 
and if we lack wisdom in the trials we're going through, that we put that into practice right now. And that we ask God. And so, whether you do that out loud or just in the quietness of your heart, we're just going to take a, a few minutes and pause and pray that we would be a people who walk in godly wisdom. And then we're going to close singing this song together and seek to step out in faithfulness. Okay? So let's pray. Father, we are a people who are so prone to wander in our own way. Father, thank you for being a gracious God and a merciful God who has revealed that most evidently through the sacrifice of Christ that we can have a hope that extends far beyond this world. Oh Lord, it's really challenging many days to figure out the contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom from you. And so I ask that you would help us to discern what that would look like. God, I'm thankful for your forgiveness because we are people who have erred so much. Lord, we are a family, a church family who's erred so much. And yet, Lord, our faith is in you doing a new work in our lives. And we recognize that that has to start with us. So, Father, in the face of trial, whether that's trial of discouragement or trial of loss or trial of hardship, trial of relationship, a trial of faith, whatever that may be. Lord, we're asking you to fulfill the very promise you've given us in your word that you first gave to the church that James is writing to, affirming and assuring these people who were spread all over, dispersed, facing unknown futures, that they could have confidence in you and your promises. Lord, may that be true of us. And because of that, may we be a people who walk in faith not doubting who you are or what you're doing, but watching closely for when you reveal that to us. Lord, may our worth be in you. May we see that the greatest possession we have is salvation. And may that permeate every piece of our life, that we would be a people of hope, that in the midst of this world, we would not simply blend in. Lord, give us opportunities today to extend a joy and hope that's rooted in Christ. It's in His name that we pray this.